This is Scripture Read Badly. A podcast where two grown-up pastor's kids discuss the stories of the Bible in chronological order. Attempting to avoid heresy and generally having a good time. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Ryan. Sit back and rejoice. Today's verse comes from Exodus chapter 5 verse 18. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. This is the way God teaches us to innovate when we are told to do impossible tasks. We have to come up with other ingredients to make the bricks, end quotation marks. This is Scripture Read Badly. I am Jeremy Barry Randall. My name is Ryan Luke Winslade, and today we are talking about Exodus chapter 5 and hopefully chapter 6 as well. Yeah, chapter 6. So in this, we... (laughs) That was a long air horn. Thank you. Um, We are expecting to uh, get all the way through Moses and Aaron's first encounter with Pharaoh, which doesn't necessarily go very well. Uh, And then God's promise of deliverance and a random genealogy of Moses and Aaron. It is quite random, but it'll be packed with meaning as we talk about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. So... Moses and Aaron have spoken to their own people. The, uh, their own people have backed them in their authority and dreams and vision that God has given them. Mm-hmm. And then they get to go hang out with Pharaoh. And It the, seems as though it's right away as well. Yeah. And straight off the bat is the most famous line in the book, which is, let my people go. Mm-hmm. Which is... yeah. From Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and yes, the reason well, they most... want them to be let go is so that they can go into a feast in the wilderness, which is the best place for a feast. Yeah, and that kind of reminds me of in The Lord of the Rings. Actually, it was in The Hobbit. In The Hobbit, when they're in Mirkwood, in the book. Yep. Not necessarily in the movie. Um, the movie sucked, let's tra- be honest. Traipsing through... <laughs> They're traipsing through Mirkwood, and occasionally they hear this laughter and things of of the the woodland elves that are having a feast under the stars. Um, and so that's kind of what it makes me think of, because that was kind of wilderness. They, they were lost, but still in the midst of this wilderness, there was joy and there was celebration, there was feasting. I love feasting. So it, feasting is good. I It makes me wonder, though... When he says that we may go hold a feast in the wilderness, is that entirely true? Because ultimately, the goal of this is to have the Israelites delivered into the land of Canaan and to come into their own. But here, the case they are presenting is that they may go seemingly temporarily outside of Egypt. Is that what's happening? He's kind of presenting a false case. Well, it's also to fly in the face of the worship of Pharaoh, like he's saying, I want my people to leave your kingdom and come into a place that's not your kingdom so that they can worship me and be mine. And so it could be that his case is that I just want my people to worship me and then whatever happens after that happens. Mm -hmm. But I think it's more like some button pushing of God. Like, you're not God, I'm God, and these aren't your people, they're my people. 
Yeah. So I don't necessarily so, know if God's just openly lying to get his people out, but even if he is, he's God. He can lie if he wants. Could this maybe be God's maybe be... Could this possibly be God's initial incentive for having Israel leave Egypt just to get them back to him get them focused on him yep. out of the reign of this other false god that is the main reason that God wants them to come out Definitely. and the fact that they are leaving and then following into the promise that he He gave to Abraham is just a something that happens as a result yeah or he he wants Pharaoh to choose to let them leave completely and so that's why he pushes more buttons until Pharaoh's like sick of the people and he's like get out of my kingdom so this is just the mm. start of that process mm-hmm. right well, but then Pharaoh is um, like who is this God and why should I obey his voice and why should I let the Hebrews leave so he's yeah, definitely he says, not into it he says I do not know the Lord yeah. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. So he's, like you said, he's flat out refusing. Yep. Um, and Moses and, I mean, it says, then they said, meaning, it's probably Aaron speaking. Then Aaron responds, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Which is entirely true because we know that God met with Aaron at yep. the end of the last chapter. Um, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence yep. or with the sword so that that is the mindset of pagan god worship that the Egyptians would have been used to yeah, to definitely. offer sacrifices lest bad things happen Yep. so He's appealing to them in a way that they would understand. Um, a very simple and laid out uh, proposition, saying we're going to go three days into the wilderness so that we are out of your land completely. We're going to hold a feast and worship the Lord. But it doesn't seem like he says, then we'll come back. So nope. this this is a little bit misleading. And maybe that's even why Pharaoh's heart is hardened because he realizes they want to get out of here completely yep. and they're not being honest with me and that infuriates him to the point of him refusing them. Yeah. And, but, and then he also realizes that without them he won't get all the stuff he wants made because he says... Um, their burden is large, so you have to get back to that work. Yeah. And so that could be a part of the hardened heart too, that he needs stuff built, and without them he can't build the stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, that does go to show that he's trying to build too much stuff. Yeah, that obviously. is true um, Okay, then Pharaoh responds saying, Behold, the people of the land are now many... And you make them rest from their burdens. So he's, I guess he's saying that the workforce now is so big and we're getting so much done that if you take them, it's going to be devastating to the economy of Egypt. Yep. Yeah, it just seems... I don't really know how to take that because it shows that the entire economy of Egypt at that point, or at least the infrastructure is being maintained by slavery. Yep. So 
obviously there's nothing wrong in the eyes of Pharaoh. Um, he's saying, obviously, I said obviously too many times. He's saying that the growth and uh, further establishment of Egypt is most important. And how we go about doing that is of little significance. Yeah, but it also so he, probably he, links he, in yeah. with his godhood. Like, I lead this thing and I'm the god of this place. And if these things that I'm saying are going to happen don't happen, then that yep. questions my godhood, godliness. Right. Okay, then they'd have to kind of retcon things and say, well, when I said this, I actually meant this. Yeah. When I said we're going to build cities at, on the, the backs of these Hebrews, what I meant was they were going to start building the cities and then we were going to finish it yep. hundreds of years later. Okay, so it's kind of like justifying things that the Pope says if you take the Pope's word as gospel. Except to a... <laughs> Or we're that's, gonna build the wall. Actually, no, we're not gonna build any wall. Yeah, that was okay, just a that's joke. That's more like it. Lols. Yep. <laughs> so then he tries to punish the people, or tries to ramp up the production, but mm-hmm. he doesn't do it so productively by making the people find their own straw to make the bricks. Which then yep. it makes you ask, where was the straw coming from before and was there mm. Egyptians that were collecting straw for the people of Israel? That seems odd that they just didn't use the Israelites first to do that. Well, okay, so that is a possibility that they did have people collecting straw, but also a possibility is that they had Israelites whose job was to collect straw and then get it to the, the brick makers. Yep. But now they're saying we're going to make the straw gathering Israelites and the brick uh, brick making Israelites one and the same. So oh. we're going to make everybody gather straw and make their own bricks and everybody lay bricks. Yeah. In Maybe. the plan, in the hopes that they'd make more bricks, or in the hopes that they'd have to work harder and that would be punishment. I think work harder because they would expect the same outcome. Yep. Um, or more, because it's Pharaoh being mad and refusing Moses and Aaron. But I think what's cool about that, though, is even though this happened, Moses and Aaron had the blessing of the elders of Israel. So it shows yep. that the people were behind them. So whatever consequences came their way, they were willing to, pardon the pun, shoulder that burden yep. in order to achieve what God had promised to them. Yeah. So, it's pretty cool. That is very cool. Mm-hmm. That there was that much trust. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, it could also be that immediately after that happened, they all were cursing Aaron and things. Um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, then the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. Yeah, so they're expecting the same amount of of stuff, but with double the effort, because they're doing two jobs instead of just one. Boo. Uh, cool. But even right. before that, um, it says... Where did it... It was something about because you're idle... 
Anyway, I can't find it exactly, but it says something like, because oh, yeah, you're yeah, yeah. idle, because you were lazy, that's why you're craw- crying out to leave and worship your God. So it's almost mm-hmm. like they're ignoring the existence of God altogether, and it's just that they don't want to do work and they want to go for a holiday. So it's like, we'll show you a holiday, and then they make them work twice as hard. Hmm. And that's yeah. odd. Yeah, I mean, it's it's power. Uh uh, manipulation. It's it's misuse of power. Yep. And we do see that in in different uh, structures. Obviously, they are not good structures, but nope. you might see them in movies and things where the the big bad boss uh, makes everybody work twice as hard because he thinks that they're not getting enough done or that people are being slack and things like yep. that. Um, so. I don't know. It's uh, obviously that's not the reason that they were asking to go into the wilderness, but that is the way that Pharaoh took it, seemingly. So that is that does make sense. That his immediate thought was that even though they're gone, that means I can't accomplish what I want to accomplish. Yeah. So his his response was not. This is going to be detrimental to the overall economy and the functioning of the land, and on the behalf of my people this would not be a good thing to have happen he was saying i want this it was his desires and his selfishness that drove his decision to uh to make the israelites work harder and then the foreman come and complain to him yeah saying why do you treat us like this because of what you said these servants are yelling at us and cursing us because because uh, we have to make them to do more and uh, it looks like the foremen are being beaten but yeah, mm, yeah is, is that but, what it says? Uh, it could be anyone I'm not sure if it's just the foreman but it's also it, this attitude seems to say that they were hard working beforehand and mm. it's like ridiculous and unjust that they would ask them to work even more especially when he comes back again and says you are idle you are idle and that is why you say let us go sacrifice and it seems so odd like someone is being very ignorant or deceptive because it seems like the people of Israel have already been very hard working yeah yeah so maybe maybe it is that the uh the foreman and foremen and and people were were giving a false report to Pharaoh. So, yep. and then I think this is when the the people start cracking with their resolve to be represented by Moses and Aaron because they come back to them and say, "You've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants," yeah. and they mm-hmm. put a sword in their hand to kill us. And so once again, this attitude shows that they're already hardworking and they probably had. Like, they had a burden, but it was, like, a legitimate burden that they could actually hold, and now it's Mm -hmm. too much. Yeah. And then Moses is like, ooh, maybe we've gone too far, and Moses turns to God and says, why have you done evil to these people? Why did you ever send me? As if it was Mm -hmm. God's fault, or even Moses' fault that the Pharaoh was being a jerk. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and he's like, "Why?" He's, and it's funny that he says, "And you have not delivered your people at all." 
Yeah. As if after 400 years of not being delivering, God was just going to do it instantly. Like Moses was going to walk in and Pharaoh was going to be like, oh, sure, you can leave. Yeah, but this could yeah. be the moment where Moses is like, oh, actually, we're going to have to fight for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is interesting <laughs> because it it kind of shows that the the mentality of the people of Israel was for something, like you said, instant and miraculous. Yep. But we, knowing the end of this story, we know that it is miraculous and it's fairly quick. I mean, as far as we can tell, there aren't yep. dates or anything with with these different um, chapters. So I don't know how long the plagues took. Um, it probably wasn't that long, maybe a week or something. I think it actually says somewhere that they lasted for a certain period of time each. But, um, we... but even if it was months, compared to yep. 400 years, the deliverance is quite quick. Exactly. But it did exactly. take a process because God seems to want Pharaoh to agree to it so he's not acting out of individual choice, even if he does some trickery with the stubbornness. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right, so... Um, God is not slow about keeping his promises. He always comes through. Yep. And it's usually in his own timing. I once heard somebody say... God takes a long time to act suddenly. Yep. Which is how it often feels. Um, so then we move into chapter 6, and God responds to Moses in a Job-like situation. How loud are those crickets outside? I can hear them, but they're like nice. They're like calming. Okay, good, good. Um, so then God has this out-of-the-storm type of moment, like he had with Job, where he says... Um, but instead of saying, who are you to question me? He says, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Yep. For for with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. So it is God saying that it is not going to be by your own effort. Nothing that the Israelites do is going to be responsible for the deliverance. Because maybe Moses was thinking he'd go in there, he'd do the signs, and he'd say, yo, let my people go. And then Pharaoh would say, all right, fine, do it. And then Moses would go, sweet, I delivered everyone, this is fantastic. But really it is an act of God that is completely undeniable. Yep. That has resounded throughout millennia since that moment. Um, It was... It was nothing that the Israelites did. It was all about God's deliverance. So, uh, and and a little bit of uh, obedience from from the Israelites, but it was mostly um, God acting on His own accord. So, God reiterates then, His covenant. Yeah, definitely. And says, "I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob, as God Almighty, but by my name Yahweh." I did not make myself known by them. Yeah. So he's, he's, uh, I guess he's showing that this is a very special part in the, uh, in the outworking of things. He's saying, this is a new point in time. They knew me as God almighty, but you know me as Yahweh. You know, my very name, my very essence, you know, Yud hey vav hey, you know the hand behold nail behold that Jesus 
is my name. Yeah. So you will know me as Deliverer, whereas they knew him as the Almighty, the one that could do anything. Yeah. So it's it's revealing different aspects of his character to different people in different moments in time because it's what they needed at that moment. I think maybe if Abraham had God revealed to him as Yahweh at that moment, maybe he thought God is going to deliver the land of Canaan into my hands or maybe yeah. God is going to tell me to... I don't know, give it all up and to, to never live here, which he kind of does with Isaac, but um, with sacrificing Isaac, but it's not exactly who Abraham needed to know God was yeah. at that moment. So God's saying, yo, this is a new moment in time. This is important. You know me as Yahweh. I'm going to deliver you. I've heard your the groanings of my people. So now go and say to the people... I am Yahweh and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. Yeah. So yeah, he's reiterating, this is my character, this is who I am, this is my name. Um, a, a pastor that I like to listen to um, likes to say that in the Hebrew world, when somebody had a name, the name was not just their identification, it was also their identity. So the the meaning of their name was just as important as their very name. Yeah. Um, or their actions that they outworked in their life and often they came true. So with Yahweh, he's saying, my name is deliverance, my name is sacrifice, my name is uh, redemption, and you will know me as such. Yeah. When I when I act upon my, my name. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's like a direct response to his question, why did you ever send me? And God's like, because this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yep. And it's it's cool because Moses, uh, he does this many, many times over the next 40 years of his life where the people of Israel cry out to him and then he goes and asks God, why have you done this? Yeah. What is your reasoning? Let me know so that my heart won't be bitter towards you. I need to know the reason that things are happening how they are. So this is uh, one of the first times that we see this. I mean, with the burning bush, it was kind of questioning why God is choosing him. Yep. But then God, God doesn't reveal it to him. But here, him acting as an intercessor and inquiring on the behalf of other people, um, I think God is honoring that and not taking out his his frustration on Moses like he later does on some of the people of Israel. So, yeah. Um, so then Moses goes and tells the people of Israel everything that God told him, but they didn't listen to him because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Yep. That, that is so intense. Yeah. That is so intense. Okay. All right. We can do story time now. You can. Yeah. Story time. Sweet. So, Close your eyes and imagine. You have been a slave in Egypt for 40 years. It's the majority of your life, if not all of your life, if you were born into it. Your wife or your husband, your kids, they're all slaves. There is no education other than the reciting of the promises to your forefathers. The slavery is pretty bad. 
you remember years ago this dude named Moses killed somebody and ran away and you remember that because there was something special about him growing up in Pharaoh's court but you couldn't quite put your finger on it and then suddenly he comes out of nowhere this 80 year old man and his brother who's probably 86 or 88 or something like that and you're like what the heck what are you guys even doing here I thought you were you were gone I thought you were dead and he says no God has come he's sending me to deliver all of you from slavery and after showing you some signs you're on board with it you think I believe that God is behind this man but then the report comes back from Pharaoh that he has refused not only that but he has made your slavery so much worse you have to go all the way out across the land just to gather straw to make the amount of bricks that you were making before when that was your full-time job the taskmasters are terrible they whip you they beat you they call you names they jeer everything sucks and it's mostly because of that man Moses coming back things weren't that bad when you only had one task to do sure it was slavery but it wasn't that bad but now Moses has the audacity to come away from his so-called encounter with God and say God says I am the deliverer of my people I've heard their cry. I will deliver them from slavery. I will redeem their life. This is not who I have called them to be. I am Yahweh. I am almighty. And so Moses says that to you and you think, you're right. How dare you tell us that when our lives have been made so much worse because of you. So then... We don't really know what's going to happen. All we know is that tomorrow is going to be just as hard as today, if not harder. We know that there are less Israelites alive today than there were yesterday. We know that food is harder to come by. We know that everything is worse. So if God is out there, if God really sent Moses, why does it feel like this? You can open your eyes now. Story time is over. Sorry about another another downer of a story time but every now and then every now and then it's helpful just to get in the the mindset of the people because the way that this is written it is to exalt Moses I mean to exalt God first and foremost but as a leader it is showing it is showing the shortcomings of Moses but it's also showing how he obeyed God and that we can treat him as a role model Whereas I think what's so hard to do is to get in the mindset of the everyday person because everything's told from these great leaders' perspective, these people that actually follow God. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's kind of what I was doing with that first story time with talking about the, the babies being taken from the, mother, from the mothers. And sometimes it's just helpful to remember that. So, yep. Where do we go from here, Jeremy? Story time! Do, 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 do. Um, then we just get this huge list of people. Yeah. And lists are important to people back then because it was family lines that connected them to God's story. 
Mm-hmm. And at the end, it says, These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. And yeah. so it's connecting Aaron and Moses to this big old story that God's been writing mm-hmm. so that the people would trust them, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and then uh, Moses once again is like, Behold, I'm of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And he has said that twice. Because yeah, he's it, worried that he's not worthy. Something that I just picked up in here that is... Uh, it's definitely beside the point. And we remember the, the rules about incest back then when God was wanting to establish a particular genetic line with the Hebrew people. That that was important to him, that they didn't intermarry with the other cultures around. Um, yep. Amram, the father of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, uh, he married his aunt. Jochebed was his, like father, his, his, his father's sister. No. Jochebed was his, his father's aunt. sister. Yep. It says so in verse 20, chapter 6. Yeah. Um, Amram lived to be 137 years old. That is quite old. That is very old. That's older than than Moses lived. Um, but, I mean, with Moses, we do kind of see the fulfillment of the prophecy that God spoke to Noah, saying the length of days of a man from now on will be 120 years and how it was kind of slowly declining to plateau at 120 years and then since then obviously it's declined even more um so just wait until we get different bodies made out of metal yeah um we can take a two minute digression into that what's Uh, the a word i'm thinking of artificial Okay, that could be it. No, it, no. You know Pokemon Go, how it's called augmented. something reality? Augmented. When our yeah. bodies get augmented by all this technology, it's going to be sick. Yeah. I am... I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm keen for, for cyborg stuff to happen. I mean, cybernetics. Not necessarily cyborgs, but... <laughs> I, I watched iRobot the other night, and... Oh, sweet there are some really cool things about that movie. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. Um, and I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but it is, you know, 15 years old. But uh, one of the main characters has a cybernetic arm because yes, their wait. arm was taken off in an accident. And it's actually really awesome to see how human life could be improved with technology. But then the yep. flip side of that is that people could... Um, rely too heavily on technology then if technology is either corrupt or is stripped away then what is left what is humanity then so I don't know I mean I am keen for people to live a very very long time but there's definitely a part of me that thinks if you live beyond a certain amount of years your life probably will get worse if Hmm. mentally if you lived beyond 120 years and you saw the rise and fall of empires and generations and and things like that, then would you not get to a point where you'd either exhausted everything that you could do or it just be- you became so frustrated with humanity or your vices became so strong that you just kind of spiraled into hell, 
So living for eternity on this unredeemed earth, maybe that would be hell because your sins would get so bad or if you didn't rely on Jesus, then the sins would kind of take control of your life eventually. Do you think that would ever happen? Hmm. Interesting. Yes and yes. I think, like, if you live in a way that is hopeless, like empty of hope and empty of life living longer in quotation marks isn't going to make your life better it's just going to make it worse yeah and so with the hope of jesus if we're augmented whilst having jesus in our lives that would be awesome yeah so yes i agree with you what what do you think about the new bodies though the new heaven new earth do you think that's just going to be a new age on this present physical earth or and this is something to get into on controversial theology, but maybe augmented bodies and cybernetics and transferring our consciousness into artificial bodies and things is actually the the resurrection that Jesus promises. And possibly because the imagery that Revelation uses is going from a garden. No, no, that Genesis uses going from a garden and then a city in Revelation. Yeah. So maybe God's intentions was that we get more technically proficient Mm. I just can't imagine us going back to primitive end quotation marks times in heaven like why would we grow to this point and Mm. then God's like actually we're going to sit in the dirt and so yeah I don't know I'd be keen to something like uh, naturalized technology so yeah where technology is more like plants and things, but they do the same things. Yeah. Maybe like Atlantis with the glowing crystals and rocks and things. Maybe that could be kind of cool. But that is definitely a tangent. So let's bring it back. We were talking about how long people were living around that time. Um, Okay, so then we also read that Aaron took as his wife Elisheba... Eli Sheba, Eli Sheba, don't know how to pronounce that one, the daughter of Aminadab, and the sister of Nashon. And she bought him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Those are some names, I mean, at least the sons of Aaron, those are some names that we will will recognize later on in the Torah when we get to, I think, Leviticus or something like that. Oh, yeah. Something like that. So there's... Uh, yeah. Is it the end of Exodus? I don't know. Sorry, guys. And Phineas and Korah. Yep. They're the yep. ones that um, take the bits of the tabernacle officially mm-hmm. away. Yep, that's right. So, Eleazar's... So, uh, uh, the sons of Korah uh, are important later on because the sons of Korah are some of the ones that stay faithful and some of the ones that rebel. And Eleazar, Aaron's son, becomes the priest after Aaron, which is pretty cool. It's it's a nice little yep. detail that that Eleazar's included in this genealogy. Um, okay, so then we are basically wrapping up chapter six, and um, on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, "I am Yahweh. I am the Lord." 
tell Pharaoh king of Egypt that I say to you uh, all that I say to you but Moses said to the Lord behold I am of uncircumcised lips how will Pharaoh listen to me so it did say that earlier on in chapter 6 but it's possible that that's just a, a doubling up of of this thing because of the brief genealogy inserted in that chapter um, but yep. I do know that in Hebrew literature when something is repeated it is being emphasized yep. it is not repeated for no reason so maybe the fact that Moses is reiterating that to God is showing that he really believes that he can't speak to Pharaoh yeah yep so yeah um, why don't we briefly cover the second encounter uh, with Pharaoh and then we'll cut it off halfway through chapter 7 because that's when the plagues begin yeah plagues sweet so uh, chapter 7 begins with Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh once more um, God says that Moses is like God to Pharaoh and Aaron is like a prophet yep interesting um so then God also says I will harden Pharaoh's heart again is that a mind trick a manipulation slight manipulation bringing to the surface a desire that Pharaoh has to not let them go or is it God intervening with the will of man preventing Pharaoh from actually listening to reason or is it God doing the Job thing and just letting the enemy speak to Pharaoh? Right. Right. Because okay. maybe the enemy's like, no, don't let the people go. Punish them. And God's just like, well, I'm not going to argue with that. That is a good perspective. I have not thought of that one. That's that's really Because cool. that is echoed in later, too, that... Or maybe it was in Job when people just blamed God for specific things happening, but it wasn't really God. It was just the enemy doing weird stuff. Anyway, I think we discussed that in yeah. the Job episode. Yeah, Go listen did. to the Job episode. It's fascinating. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, okay, so we have then Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh, and they said everything to Pharaoh that God commanded them, and it reminds us that Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old so only 3 years older than than Moses, there we go um, that was how old they were when they spoke to Pharaoh we don't know how old Pharaoh is we don't know if it was the Moses' stepbrother or something yeah. because Moses was raised by Pharaoh's daughter so it's very possible that Pharaoh's daughter had a brother who became the next Pharaoh. Yep. And by this stage... Or that someone took over. Or that somebody violence. took over. Yep. That very well could have happened as well. Or it could have been a, a political uh, seizing of the throne. Something like that. Something like in the in Prince Caspian by C.S. Lewis. Um, yep. Cool. So we don't know how old Pharaoh is. We assume that he is young... Um, young enough to lead his chariots in pursuit of the Israelites. But uh, God says to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then um, you'll do the, the staff serpent thing. So they did that. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and became a serpent. Now again, this was like a pap 
the uh, the god of chaos and uh, and serpents in the Egyptian mythology. So it was yep. the miracle that God chose was one of blatant opposition to Ra, who yep. was like the uh, the head god over Pharaoh. So that's that's pretty interesting how he does that. Then Pharaoh summoned the and wise men. Sorry, what were you going to say? But before that, this is the first time I've ever read that Aaron did it. Hmm. Like, it wasn't Moses at all. It was Aaron that threw his staff down. Mm-hmm. Had you ever seen that before? Um, I think so in recent readings. But okay. I don't... That's definitely not the way that I remember it. And I think it's yeah. mostly because of seeing it Prince in of Prince of Egypt and Veggie Tales and every other adaptation of... And every story. felt board of our lives. Yes, every single one. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I definitely don't remember that Moses showed Aaron the signs and passed that on to yeah. Aaron. So it does make sense that then Aaron would be the one because Moses uh, is convinced that he can't speak for himself. Yeah. Um, so then Pharaoh summons his wise men and sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts for each man hmm. cast down I wonder down, what the secret arts were yeah um probably finger painting yeah definitely yeah they just brought out a finger painting of a s- serpent yeah quick throw it throw it on the ground <laughs> they threw it on the ground so uh it says each man cast down his staff and they became serpents but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So, we briefly addressed this earlier when God showed the signs to Moses. We said maybe the the wise men were holding snakes the whole time. So, do you think yep. this was... Maybe they had some kind of... Uh, either some kind of dark magic that they were able to do a similar thing or at least make it look like it was the same thing or maybe they had used some kind of poison or something to stun the serpents and make them go rigid and then hold them oh, as staffs and then when they threw them on the ground maybe they splash water on them or something life. like that and they came to life yeah it could be a whole it could be all three of those things like it could have been just magic like David Copperfield. Wow, I couldn't even say his name. David <laughs> Copperfield. Or it could have been like some dark arts because there's a ton of stuff, I assume, mm-hmm. that people dedicated to dark arts can figure out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I believe in the spiritual realm and I believe that the physical realm is affected by the spiritual realm. So yep. if people give authority to demons to work uh, sorcery and things yep I think I I mean I have a bit of a hard time wrapping my head around what that would actually look like but I am as far as my understanding of the spiritual world goes it makes sense to me that that would happen all, yeah. all I know is that yeah. anytime anything spiritually icky happens I'm out of there I'm like, oh, this is just weird. I don't like it. So yep. I think it's really awesome that uh, the 
Aaron's serpent eats the other ones. That was yeah, exactly, sweet. and that's a part two to God being like, "I'm the winner of this battle." Yeah, and even though they were playing with the big boys now, God still came through and proved in the sight of everyone that they were superior. But then Pharaoh would have said, "Well, even though it ate them." My magicians are still able to do it, so I don't really believe you. Which is why yep. the plagues are necessary. So yep. we we don't see um, the leprosy happen. We don't see Aaron stick his hand in his cloak and pull it out leprous. Oh, too. Um, so maybe it was that that was just for the people of Israel. But what we yep. do see is skipping ahead to the Nile turned to blood. So that's going to be really cool to get into and think about the uh, what that actually looked like and possibly even smelt like and yep. the effects of all these different plagues. So we'll get to that in the next episode. But this has been Scripture Read Badly. My name is Ryan. And I'm Jeremy. And, uh, and sometimes we write on Facebook and other social media mm-hmm. platforms. And um, you should check them out. Yep. And message us what you like or do not like or tell your friends about us because then everyone gets to learn more about the Bible together. Mm -hmm. And seriously, if you do have any qualms about what we've said or the way that we go about things and you have some suggestions for how we could do it better, even if that's just uh, telling us that we should read it multiple times ahead of time so that we're not kind of scrounging to try and find our place on the page then let us know that as well. We love having any feedback at all. So that's great. Tell a friend about this podcast today. That'd be awesome. You can buy some of our merch on Zazzle if you want. So just go to Zazzle and then search uh, scripture underscore red underscore badly in the, the shop search bar and you'll find a bunch of products that we get a very small amount of kickback from, but they have our faces or our logo on so that's a cool thing to do i'm bound to get a mouse pad very soon with uh with our logo on very excited to use that yeah mouse pad uh you can also get mugs and stuff so that's cool um great so we are going to end this episode with some advice uh the advice that i will give you is to uh please please when you are putting a new roll of toilet paper in the bathroom make sure the uh, the paper faces out away from the wall, facing it Why? in towards the wall. You see the 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 backside of it. Pardon the pun, but you just see the uh, it's it's not the pretty part. So, my advice is please, please, for the love of all. When things installing plain, paper that you're gonna wipe your butt with, make it pretty. Please do, because you never know who's gonna come in and use your John. <laughs> really. Oh, I know everyone that comes and uses them because I invite them into my house. That's, that's fair enough. <laughs> me, okay, me and Evan, who is my best friend, uh, once said that we would never live together because he was adamant that that's how you put the toilet paper on, and I just didn't care. Oh. And we ended up living together for four months. <laughs> Did that ever come so, up? So, disagreements, people. Ne- no, because we never had our own toilet. Oh, okay. We just used the communal one. Yep. But yes, good advice. I don't have any advice, so we'll go with that. That's fine. Bye, everyone. See ya.